This is True Crime Exposed, and I'm your host, Kayla Waters. Thanks for joining my co-host, Alicia Jenkins, every week as we discuss a new case. We created this show to talk about victims' stories, to give a voice back to those who no longer have one. And by doing that, we can expose the monsters lurking all around us. Welcome back. We hope that everybody had a relaxing Memorial Day if you're here in the United States. We are so grateful to all the men and women who have served our country. And we hope you are all able to honor those who have lost their lives doing so. Today's case is one with limited information, but when I read about it, it just caught my attention and I had to talk about it. It's a case where the victim was left alone for so many years, her story never able to be told as her own, until one day her name was finally given back to her. With that, are you ready for today's case? On September 17, 1989, a nude body of a woman wearing only white socks is discovered at Passerby Park, which sits on Interstate 55 in Lincoln County near Brookhaven, Mississippi. And this park sat near a rest stop off the interstate around mile marker 26, and the woman's body was discovered slightly concealed within some bushes. Lieutenant Ken Estes with the Highway Patrol had told the Mississippi Enterprise Journal, quote, it couldn't be seen from the rest area. It was a Sunday afternoon when a man from Tennessee had stopped his vehicle and spotted this nightmarish scene around 12.25 p.m. And this wasn't a rest stop that had like a nice building with some restrooms inside. It was just more of a pull off from the highway. In fact, there were like no bathrooms at all, no porta potties, just like a little park off to the side. So the Tennessee man had pulled over and he exited his car looking for a place to relieve himself. And as this man went to walk around the backside of the bushes for a little privacy, he discovers the murdered woman. The Mississippi Highway Patrol officers are first dispatched to the scene. And as their investigation starts, they determine that this woman had no identifying information on her. They could not figure out who she was. The officers on scene quickly called the Lincoln County coroner at that time, Morris Henderson. And it had been clear to police that this woman was already deceased by the time they were called in. But the coroner confirms this upon his arrival. Mr. Henderson determines that the woman is 5 foot 4 inches tall. She weighs between 135 and 145 pounds. She had blue eyes and brown hair. She also had freckles, a mole on her neck, a scar on her forehead, and one pierced ear. At this time, investigators stated that they believed this woman was of white race and she was possibly mixed with Asian or Native American. Her brown wavy hair was shoulder length, and many people involved in this case indicate at this time that the woman possibly had Down syndrome. However, I don't believe she actually did. 
they were pretty clear that this was only a theory back in the day. I thought it was weird. I guess they just thought that based on how she looked. That is random. It's like not bad, obviously, to have it, but like. No. Down syndrome people are like the best ever. They are so cute. It was just random that they like came up with this theory. I'm not really sure where it came from. It was like a very random thing for them to add into the report. Yeah. The initial examination of this body didn't give investigators many more answers than what they started with. The coroner couldn't determine on scene what had caused this woman's death. He stated that there were no bruises or marks on her. So the first day of the investigation starts coming to a conclusion without any leads pointing to those involved or who this woman even was. By Sunday evening, the woman is taken from the rest area over to the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson. And an autopsy is scheduled for the following day, September 18th. And it was set to be performed in Rankin County at the office of the state medical examiner, Robert Lloyd White. And it was Dr. Stephen T. Hain, a Rankin County pathologist, who actually conducted this original autopsy. Ultimately, he determines that the woman had been strangled. Her manner of death was homicide. And he believes, based on decomposition, that her body was discovered within a couple days of her murder. But still, no one could determine who she was. The only thing gathered that might possibly identify her at that time were dental identifiers. I'm sure her DNA was gathered, but remember, DNA testing was like very new in 1989 because it just started being used like late 70s, early 90s. Yeah. So I'm assuming they gathered it, but they didn't have like a large scale database for DNA where they could just plug it into a system and see who she was or see if she connected to anyone. Yeah. Like I'm sure a lot more people in today's world, a lot less people, not more people, a lot less people will go unidentified because now you can trace it through family lines and all that. But at this time, they couldn't. I know back then they were doing the blood testing, right? Like, oh, it was this type of blood and this so-and-so has this type of blood. Yeah. And it only tells you so much. Like knowing a blood type is like, all right. Yeah. (laughs) It's not very helpful. So they did this dental identifier to try and figure out who she was. And the dental identifier recorded for her included a jaw restricted, I probably won't say this well at all, jaw restricted Peronex shovel shaped incisor ortho, Chuvel, Chuvel, I don't know. If you're in dentistry, you probably know what that is. (laughs) I'm like, I have no (laughs) idea what that is. Yeah, I don't either. But those who work in, you know, the dental field, they might understand that better than I do. But this is something that kind of they could have identified her through dental records if they found any, but they never did. So it was unclear to investigators if the woman had been sexually assaulted. But the fact that she was discovered completely nude besides her socks, mixed with something that Dr. Hain finds... I would say it became clear that this woman was sexually assaulted and it was a sexually motivated crime. Because upon the external examination of the unknown woman's body, Dr. Hain found numerous bite marks that had been left behind. Sheriff Lynn Boyd would never detail to the press where exactly the bite marks were, only that they were all over her body on different parts. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So... 
clearly this is like to me it's like okay yeah that was sexually motivated somebody's not just like murdering another person and biting them everywhere yeah were there any serial killers out there that did bites i mean it's the 1980s so probably but there was nobody like at that time where they when they find this that they're like thinking of initially okay So following this autopsy, two months pass and there was no indication that investigators were close to finding answers. So the body of the unknown woman is buried on December 14, 1989 at the Rose Hill Cemetery. The headstone given to her reads, quote, Jane Doe, young murder victim found at rest stop I-55 South, September 17, 1989, known but to God. So meaning, like, no one knows her but God. Like, we don't know who this lady is. Which is sad. So she's just buried alone. They're not sure who she is or who her family is. Eventually, the Mississippi Highway Patrol starts working with Lincoln County Sheriff Lynn Boyd and Pike County Sheriff Todd Lawson. Lincoln County District Attorney Jim Smith also aided in the investigation. And they had released an artist's rendition of what this woman would have looked like. That's what I referred to earlier. This photo was spread nationwide and the sheriff's office received hundreds of callers who had tips. However, none of these tips end up leading to anything that would help identify her. So lots of calls, but nothing comes of it. And this is just like a like a drawing of what she looked like based off her like autopsy and how she looked when they found her. Clearly, investigators didn't have much to go on. They couldn't even identify this victim, much less figure out what monster had done this to her, until about a year following the discovery of the Lincoln County Jane Doe. Lincoln County Sheriff Lynn Boyd receives word from the Lincoln County Jail that they have an inmate asking to talk with him. He says he has information on what he called the rest stop victim. On July 13, 1980, 27-year-old Alfred Ray Case had been arrested following an attack on his own mother-in-law. I found an old newspaper archive that detailed the conviction of Alfred in this case, but I couldn't determine what newspaper it came from because it was like a photo of a newspaper clipping. But apparently, Alfred's mother-in-law, Nina May Wilbuy, Will, Will, Willoughby, oh. Willbuy, Willbuy, <laughs> Oh, apparently Alfred's mother-in-law, Nina May Willoughby, was in her late 50s when he physically attacked her, beating her with his fists. This beating landed Nina in the hospital for a multiple day stay with five broken ribs, the broken bones in her face. There were like bones in her face broken around her eye socket, a broken jaw and just like covered in bruises. So this was a brutal attack. And can you imagine that from your son-in-law? No, but did you hear about the killing here in Utah just a week or two ago? No. It was like a murder-suicide, but the guy, the husband, murdered his wife and her parents and and their dogs. That's like so similar to the one from a couple months ago where the guy murdered the wife, the kids, and the mother-in-law. Yeah, it it was different. This one was in Layton. Oh my gosh, what is wrong with people? And I was thinking... Oh, your in-laws. I know, like, leave them out of it. Don't kill anybody, but, like, leave everybody else out of it, too. I know. It's like, just go kill yourself. We've said that before. 
I know, like we do not want anyone to commit suicide, but once you drag other people in it, we're just like, what? we don't care about you anymore. Just go, you just go take your own and not everybody else's. Had you not done that to everybody else, we would be filling for you. I don't understand. That is the weirdest thing to me. I know. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine Jacob beating you up. Oh, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> like, that's because he wouldn't. Your son-in-law attacks you? No, he never would. But like, just I, hopefully his wife divorced him. There wasn't much info on that. There's very limited information on this case, but so I'm not really sure if he ended up divorced, but I would imagine he did after this. So this incident is what lands Alfred in the Lincoln County Jail. And Sheriff Boyd states that Alfred didn't come to him and necessarily claim like, hey, I killed this woman. But he did give little bits of information about the Lincoln County Jane Doe. And I'm not sure why Alfred would randomly decide to tie himself to this case. It kind of sounds like there was maybe somebody else involved. So I'm thinking it's a possibility that Alfred came forward trying to confess first to get a deal or maybe even get a deal on his current case for beating his mother-in-law. However, I'm not sure if anyone else was actually involved because I could only find his name attached to this murder. So while Alfred making this statement was the biggest break in the case, what could investigators really do with a statement from Alfred that's not quite a confession? It wasn't enough to charge him for this murder. So they go back to the bite marks. Sheriff Boyd said that bite marks can be like fingerprints. They're specific to an individual. Everyone has their own unique characteristics. And remember, this was one of the ways that infamous Ted Bundy was convicted after his arrest in Florida. His bite matched the bite marks left on one of the women in the sorority house that had been murdered over in Florida, like one of the last murders or the last murder that Ted Bundy committed. So Sheriff Boyd decided to order a casting of Alfred's teeth, hoping for a match to the bite marks left behind on the Lincoln County Jane Doe. Soon after his arrest for the beating of his mother-in-law, Alfred goes to trial and a Lincoln County Circuit Court jury finds him guilty of aggravated assault by a habitual criminal for his mother-in-law's beating, not the murder. So with that, it's no surprise to know that Alfred was already very known to the police working in Lincoln County. He had been in and out of jail. In fact, a few years earlier, when he was 24 years old, he was in the Lincoln County jail awaiting to be transferred to the state prison following a conviction for grand larceny. During that time, Alfred gets together with a few other inmates. One seems likely related to him, probably even his brother or something, because it's Alfred Ray Case, Bruce Ray Case, Henry Daniels Jr., and Donald Ray Young, and they all actually escape the jail out of the window, which is so weird because this just has like a few little ties or similarities to Ted Bundy's case because he also escaped once out the window of the courthouse. And it's just like, how do we let this happen? Oh my gosh. I mean, at the time Alfred's in jail for this grand larceny, he's not you know, he's not in there for like murder, 
But still, like they were in jail. They were in their jail cell together. This window is literally in their cell. And what they did was remove the window frame. And officers even discover four men. Oh, well, so they discover the four men missing around 830. But then they also discover other inmates sitting there in the cell. Like other inmates who were like, I'm not getting in trouble for leaving this place. So like the window was open. But those inmates chose to stay because, I mean, they're just in the jail. So some of them probably are in a ton of trouble. And they're like, I am not escaping. So the men had escaped on a Monday. And by that Wednesday, just two days later, three of the four men were captured. Henry Daniels Jr. was the only one to remain under the radar. Apparently, Henry is also known as Eric Rand, so I'm not sure if he has an alias or what, and I was actually unable to determine if they did eventually capture him. I would assume that they did. But yeah, that is some of Alfred's background in Lincoln County. He was a repeat offender. He spent lots of time incarcerated. So the Lincoln County police that are working this Jane Doe case, they definitely already know of Alfred. Okay, but it's not that convincing. Like? That he did it. Yeah, so then we come back to 1990, and the castings of Alfred's teeth were taken. Then a forensic odontologist from Hadesburg examined the castings and compared them to the bite marks. This man was Dr. Michael West, and as an odontologist, he specialized in the structure, development, and diseases of the teeth. He was able to positively match Alfred's teeth to the bite marks on Jane Doe's body. So with that, the Lincoln County District Attorney Dunn Lampton filed charges against Alfred Ray Case. The Lincoln County Grand Jury indicts him on charges of capital murder by a habitual criminal and aggravated assault by a habitual criminal. This indictment also indicated that on top of sexually assaulting the woman he killed, he also robbed her. This is why he is able to be charged with capital murder, which is committing a murder while committing another crime. So, do you not, like, think that the bite marks are, like, enough? I don't know. (laughs) I wouldn't just trust those probably on their own. Like if it was some random inmate and they were like, yeah, your bite mark mark matches. Yeah. Or like your bite matches these marks. But because he confessed ish, like because he tied himself to it first and then his his bite matched the marks, that makes me feel like, okay, that is more, I think, why they were able to arrest him based on that. But, like, why did he tie himself to it? I don't know. It's so random. Like I said, maybe he was trying to get some sort of deal for this beating of his mother-in-law. Or maybe he was trying to throw somebody else under the bus for the murder and try to get out of it. I don't know. It's very odd that he would just come forward. And the police admit that without him coming forward, they probably wouldn't have been able to convict him of the murder. Yeah. And ultimately, he is convicted, but not on capital murder. It was hard to find information on his trial. Again, like I said, in this case, it's very limited information. So I'm not sure why they lessened his charge, but he was convicted of manslaughter and aggravated assault. 
I'm not sure of the exact sentence he received, but it's been reported that he's either up for tentative release or up for parole come July of 2030. So only in eight years, he will be able to possibly get be free. This will be when he's about 60 years old. Today in 2023, he remains in the East Mississippi Correctional Facility. So this was obviously a win for investigators. They're able to get a conviction in the Lincoln County Jane Doe case, but their hearts are still heavy because this case just wasn't complete. They still couldn't determine who this woman was. Alfred had told them he didn't know who she was, claiming only that she was a sex worker he picked up in New Orleans and brought to Mississippi. So honestly, we don't even know if that's true. It can't be confirmed that she was a sex worker at all, but regardless, she did not deserve to die in this way. So it haunted investigators that this woman died such a horrific death alone, and then she just remained alone years later through his conviction and everything. This conviction couldn't even bring closure to a family because her family wouldn't have known that this woman had suffered a tragic fate. So then decades pass with no answers. In 2003, a Daily Leader reporter speaks with Alfred in prison, asking him if there is anything he remembers that might lead investigators to a positive identification for the woman he murdered. He told this reporter that the woman had been picked up in Louisiana as a sex worker. He claimed that he strangled her because he couldn't afford the $200 fee. And then he said he took $400 from her wallet and saw an ID for a woman named Jenny Meaty. Well, this lead was followed up by investigators, but it didn't lead anywhere. It was another dead end for identification. So again, was it a fake name? Yeah, it definitely wasn't her. And that's why I'm like, okay, so I don't believe his story <laughs> still. Yeah. I mean, he keeps claiming she was a sex worker from New Orleans. But, but if he had the ID... Yeah, he's he, no, he didn't have the ID. He just said he saw it when he stole the money. Oh. Well. And he just claimed the woman yeah. was Jenny Meaty. But they follow up. They don't find anyone missing by this name. They don't find anything that ties to this woman. And again, I just don't even know if I believe him at all. Like, if he did have sex with this Jane Doe under the narrative of it being consensual at the time, because again, he's saying he's having sex with her as a sex worker and she thinks he's going to pay her, but then he can't pay her, so he strangles her afterwards, then like, what's with all the bite marks? Yeah. I'm pretty sure no sex worker is just going to allow you to like viciously bite them all over their body. No. So... Seems a lot more rapey to me than it does like a consensual transaction that didn't end up being a transaction in the end. Right? I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe people like to get bite. Bit. <laughs> Bit. Bitten. Bitten. Yeah. I mean, maybe some people do, but I, I just do not believe that is the case here. And I just guess I just don't believe people who are like committing crimes and escaping jail and murdering people. Yeah. So whether it was her profession or not, I believe she was absolutely assaulted and raped and he brutalized her during her slaying. He did not simply kill her just because he couldn't pay her. I do think there was more to it than that. So his claim of who this woman was still produced no answers, like I said, 
And in 2009, the Lincoln County Jane Doe's information was entered into NamUs, and this is the National Missing and Unidentified Person System. But time passed and the case still goes cold until we finally come to this year, 2023, almost 34 years since the Lincoln County Jane Doe was found. An identification was just made. In 2022, the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office, the Mississippi Office of the State Medical Examiner, and the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation start to discuss the possibility of using genetic genealogy. The MBI had initially made the suggestion to the Lincoln County Sheriff at this time, Steve Rushing. And I've said it many times on this podcast, and I'll say it again, but genetic genealogy is like game-changing in solving cold cases, and I still think is one of the coolest things ever. And remember, like our first episode was centered around the first exoneration in the United States due to genetic genealogy. That's like the case that really made me like love true crime or love looking into true crime. And so I feel like I just think genetic genealogy genealogy is the greatest it connected angie dodge it connected brian koberger that's so funny because that is literally my next sentence was this technology is also the first that connected a guy to a crime the idaho four murder like you said brian koberger that was the first case to use the tool immediately to find a killer Like, it has been used, you know, since Chris Tapp's case and a bunch of other cases around the time of Chris Tapp, who was exonerated for Angie Dodge's case. It's been used a bunch in cold cases to solve them, but not right away in, like, a murder investigation. But I think that Idaho 4 case was just so extreme, and, like, they needed... They needed to, to find somebody so yes. quickly that they they went for it. And yeah, it's it, the coolest thing. It paid off. It is pretty great. It is really huge in solving crimes. So Othram's laboratory in Texas, that's who was sent forensic evidence from this case. And the scientists there build a genetic profile for the Lincoln County Jane Doe using forensic grade genome sequencing. Othrams also has a genetic genealogy team, so once this profile is complete, the genealogist got to work researching and tracking down her family line, and they found one. Scientists were able to test Jane Doe's DNA against members within the family line, and it was a match. More than three decades after she was murdered, investigators were finally able to give the unknown woman her name back. On May 10th, 2023, literally like just a couple months ago, it's confirmed that she was Melinda Lou Barnhouse. Sheriff Rushing stated, quote, We know 100% it was her. We've been in touch with family members, an aunt and a brother, and they'll come down to Brookhaven later, probably in August. Oh my gosh. So Melinda, she was from Maryland, and as of now, it's unclear how she ended up in Mississippi or Louisiana, if what Alfred said was even remotely true. But it also makes me believe Alfred even less. Because it's like, okay, well, she wasn't even from Louisiana. She was from Maryland. No one's really sure how she, you know, ended up deceased in Mississippi. 
and it seems that investigators are still working out more details pertaining to her background. I'm sure when they meet with her family later this year, they're going to find out more. And if that information is released one day, I will update you all because, you know, Melinda does deserve to be more known for more than how she was murdered. But for now, we just know her name. She went nameless for too many years and her story was never known as her own. She was more than a woman who was found dead at a rest stop. She had a life before she was unfairly ripped from this earth. She had loved ones who have missed her for all these years. And now finally, she can be returned home and visited by those who loved her. That's kind of all we know about her right now, but I hope come August, we end up learning more about her. I was going to say, did yeah, did the family... <laughs> no. That's like all the information that has come out. I had to dig really deep to even find like even in all the reports about her because I saw this and I was just like, well, that's cool that they found this lady, like found out who she is all these years later. So I wanted to look into the case, but even looking into like all the reports don't even say the name of Alfred Ray Case, who was jailed for her murder. They just say a man is serving time for the murder. Yeah, because I would like to know her family's story. Like, when did she go missing? How did she go missing? Mm -hmm. How old was she when she went missing? That's what I want to know, too. Like, I mean, that's what I love to know. And so, sadly, literally, there's nothing. Nothing. They just found her name. And like he said, Sheriff Rushing said that they're probably coming to Brookhaven in August. So that's here in a few months. And so I'm hoping by then more information will come out. They'll maybe like speak out on this whole thing. But I thought that was pretty cool that just in May, they finally found her and found who she was. But I am anxious to know more about her. Yeah. You can look up stuff about the case and try to follow it. As of now, that is all that is out there. Thanks for listening. I research, write, host, and edit this show. Our co-host is Alicia Jenkins. Our palate cleanser is Charlie Waters. And all our music was created by Jaden Schultz, who you can find on Instagram at In Pajamas Music. Make sure to find us on social media, on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And share this episode with your friends. Tell them that you love to listen and that we're a great podcast. I'm Charlie Waters. Today, I'm going to be giving you a palate cleanser about eyes. Did you know there's a cornea that protects the pupil from dust, water, and dirt? And now my sister will say hi. Hi. Hello. Also, tears keep your eyes from from drying out. Bye. Have a good day. Okay.